hallowed be your name. And I have to confess that growing up, I was confused by this very first petition, hallowed be your name. Um, uh, you know, you take a li listen to it, and uh, you know, I, I understood intuitively what uh, Jesus meant by give us this day our daily bread, um, or deliver us from evil, or lead us not into temptation. Those seem to be pretty clear. But this one, hallowed be your name, it, it creates, at least in my mind, especially growing up, it created different word pictures. And, and, and because I was such a history nut, even as a little kid, I learned as a, a child the Gettysburg Address. And so when I heard hallowed be your name, I immediately went to the Gettysburg Address, the portion of it. And this is from the first draft where Abraham Lincoln says, in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground, right? The brave men living and dead who struggled here have hallowed it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here while it can never forget what they did here. And so to me, when I heard hallowed be your name, you know, in some way it was associated with like dedicating something that was uh, sacred or it had something to do with, you know, uh, respecting, you know, and so and, and you're, you're, you're hallowing the name. So respecting the name, does this have something to do with like not taking the Lord's name in vain? Was it, was it, are we, are we praying, asking God to give us the power to not take the the Lord's name in vain? Is it linked to one of the Ten Commandments? I mean, it was just kind of nebulous and confusing coming up. And, and I think probably the same is true today because we, you know, we don't, don't use this language for our young people today, hallow. The last time they used the word hallow was like Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, right? I mean, that's it. It's just we don't use, or it's Halloween. It's, it's not a, a word that is in our vocabulary. We don't understand it. And, and then when you think about it, I kind of referred to it last week, um, you know, in passing, that you would, you would assume because of the message of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, how he is preaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And this is a kingdom-oriented message and a kingdom-oriented prayer. You would think that the first petition might be, your kingdom come, right? Uh, and by the way, your notes say, you know, the, the night, the day's sermon is your kingdom come. And that's not because the, uh, the office staff made a mistake. It's because the, the head honcho gave him the wrong information. Uh, so that's next week's message, right? And, uh, but you, you normally chalk it up when there's a typo like that. It's my fault, not theirs. Uh, and, uh, you know, but you would think that your kingdom come would be that uh, first petition, not you know, hallowed be thy name. So, so why does Jesus give us this petition first? We have to understand that its, its placement is not accidental. It's intentional. And since it is the first of the six petitions, it has a special place of honor and it speaks to the priority that it has really over the other petitions. So we need to go there today. We need to, we need to ask, why did Jesus put this petition in such a place of prominence? In order for us to, 
to understand it. Now, but for us to understand it, we've got to get into the words a little bit. Now, there's not a whole lot of words there, right? Uh, it's hallowed and name. If we, but if we understand hallowed and name, then we're going to understand the point of the petition, and then I think we'll better understand why it is given the priority. So let's start there with understanding the words themselves. Let's, let's start with that last word, name, right? Name. Um, uh, when, this month, 19 years ago, my second son, only, my, my last son, I have two children, uh, was born. And uh, I remember on that day, as almost everybody does when your children are born, it's a very vivid memory. Uh, for us, we almost waited too late. Uh, we got to the hospital, and I think he was born like 64 minutes later. And uh, we almost didn't make, we almost cut it too close, right? And I know we'll forget when, uh, you know, up he comes out and uh, we got him and we're, holding, and we're walking Catherine from one place to another and uh, she gets to see him and she looks at him and she goes, oh, he is so beautiful. I want another one. Let's have another one. And then she just passes out from blood loss, right? She just hits the floor, right? And, uh, and the whole day went south from there. And uh, finally, sometime that afternoon, the fi family says, well, listen, you haven't told us his name. And he goes, oh, oh, okay. My sisters were there. And I said, oh, his name is, uh, we've named him Jacob Rene. Rene after his grandfather, my father-in-law, Jacob, you know, with a K, because we have a Germanic background, and Jacob Rene. Well, my one sister, Cindy, my second, you know, second, and she's like celebrating. Well, my older sister, her eyes get really big. She gets this horrified look on her face and she gasps and she says, oh no, please call him Renee. I don't want my precious nephew to be a supplanter or a deceiver. Are you kidding me? Right, now, now, if you're wondering what's going on, you need to know something about my older sister, Pam. Number one, she's always been overly melodramatic, okay? It's just the way it is. Um, she's always been that way. But the second thing is, is that my sister, Pam, knows the Bible inside out, upside down, and she is incredibly, her mind is saturated with the scriptures. She filters everything through scriptures, and she understands that in biblical times, uh, the name of a person communicated oftentimes their character. And so if you go to the Old Testament, the story of Jacob and Esau, and Jacob who was the father of the nation of Israel, he tried to supplant, when he came out of the womb, Esau was his twin, he grabs a hold of his heel, tries to switch the birth order, he ultimately deceives Esau to take his birthright, right? And different things like this, and, and, and to get the birthright from, Jake, uh, from Isaac. And, and so he's associated with deception, and his name means supplanter. And so my sister goes there in her mind because of the association in the Bible that the name has with the incommunicable character of a person. Uh, in the Bible, it, it, it could speak to a person's character. It could foreshadow the purpose of their life. Um, it, it could be that the person's name was deliberately being given to them through God in order to communicate a message from God. So Hosea, for example, the prophet, he is told by God to marry a prostitute, and he has different children, and the names of the children are communicating prophetic messages from God. 
In the last son that he gives, God says, name him Lo-Ami, which means you're not my people. And so through the name of that last son, God was communicating a message. People in the, in the biblical times would change their name in order to reflect their status in life. So for example, in the book of Ruth, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, are coming from Moab back to the hometown of Naomi. Naomi has lost her husband and her two sons to death. When she comes to the, to the village, the, the village comes out to meet them and the people say to Naomi, they say, is this Naomi? And the word Naomi, the name Naomi means pleasant. And Naomi says, no, 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 do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. My name is now Mara, which means bitter. Bitter. So, so the name in the Bible is very important. And one author kind of thinks of, talk about it like this, when the name of God, hallowed be your name, the name of God. And the name of God is not G-O-D, God, okay? God gives us many names for himself in the Bible. And, and, and one author put it like this, these names essentially provide for us what we might call a personality profile, right? That the names of God, they, they're referring to his character, to his attributes, to his personality. They, they, they reveal his personality, his fame, his reputation. The, the names of God, they tell us what God is like. They tell us and they reveal who God is. So hallowed be your name. Name meaning who God is, what God is like. Now the word hallowed, that word I talked about at the beginning of the message, the word that is kind of funky and nebulous, especially to us nowadays, is actually a common word in the Bible. In the Greek, it's, it's the word hagiazo. It means to consecrate, to dedicate, to sanctify, to treat as holy, to feel reverence for or to honor as holy. And in the Bible, it's used primarily for objects or for people that are being set aside for God's use. Thus, oftentimes you find that this idea of hagiazo is associated with our word in the English translations of sanctify or consecrate. You're consecrating something. Something is being made holy for God's use. You just saw an exercise in Hagiazzo when we ordained ransom. He was being set aside for God's use. That's, a, that's an iteration of this concept that's going on here. And so literally, if you take hallowed be your name, that word hallowed is be made holy your name. So that's what you're praying in that petition. Be made holy your name. Your name, who you are. May it be made. Well, wait a second. How can you make the name of God holy? I mean, God is what? Holy, yeah, exactly. He's inherently holy. And that means, therefore, his name 
is inherently holy. This is, this is a difficult concept to get your head around. And, and this is why maybe in the Bible, you don't really see the idea of hagiazo, of, of sanctify attached to the word name very often. It's only a couple of times in the Bible. Uh, one of them was in our, our reading this week with the community Bible reading that we're doing together. In Isaiah chapter 29 is one of those examples where God says, for when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. So there's one example of where God says, I'm going to work in such a way that they will holify my name. It will become reality for these people. Um, in, in 1 Peter, you see another example of it. In 1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts, and here's the Hagia, so honor Christ the Lord as holy. So honor holy, Christ the Lord is the name of God being referenced in this passage. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. This is hallowed be your name always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So let's, let's put these two words, these, this whole concept together so that we can understand the point of the petition. Because when we understand the point of the petition, I think you'll begin to understand why it's given the prominence of first place in the list of petitions, okay? So you have the, the name, right? This is, this is who God is. This is his attributes. This is, his, the, this is the awesome holiness, the glory, the, the, the omnipotence, and, and all that God is and who he is, right? The hallowed aspect is us saying, we want who God is to be made known, to be made real, to be made manifest, to be so visible, to be so clearly uh, obvious that, that people's the response or my response is that of reverence, awe, worship, okay? Satisfaction in that name of God. So we were praying, Father, make your character, make your attributes so real, so visible on earth as it is in heaven. Make it so known and so perfect that you receive the honor and the glory that you alone are due. That's what we're praying with this petition. Now do you see why this petition must be first? Do you see why hallowed be your name has the prominence and the place of honor that it does? It's simply put, folks, asking for God's name to be hallowed. It aligns our heart and our prayer with God's highest eternal purpose. We're beginning our prayers each and every time with God's highest purpose. What is that purpose? The scriptures tell us in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Read the last part out loud with me. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's the purpose. 
How about Colossians chapter one? For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In other words, everything that is, it's all about who? God. And everything that happens, it's all about ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, the ultimate end is his glory. He reveals himself in various ways, in love, through grace, through power, through omniscience, through omnipotence, through, through mercy, through judgment, through provision, through long-suffering, he reveals himself in a multitude of ways and for a multitude of purposes. But the ultimate eternal end that God has in mind is his glory. From the beginning of the garden itself, right, God began to make himself known to his creation. And as he made himself known to his creation and he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, what did they do? They worshiped him. They glorified him. And every time that you see, like for example in Isaiah 6, where God reveals himself, makes himself manifest, that's what's behind that idea of hallowed. We want you to become real on earth as you are in heaven to make yourself known. And when you do that, what happens? You are hallowed, you are worshiped. Isaiah hits the floor when God makes himself manifest in that particular way. When God makes himself known to you in a particular situation or through a particular verse of scripture or maybe at a point in a, a worship service in a song, you feel the presence of God, you feel an insight from God. That, that interaction with God where he makes himself real to you, it always provokes a response, doesn't it? Of, wow, wow. Remember Randy Pope's sermon? Wow, you know, glory. Glory. And even though sin has marred creation, folks, God is still jealous for his glory. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why? Because I am a jealous God, he says. In Ezekiel chapter 36, he talks to the children of Israel. And he says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Ultimately, God is jealous for his glory and he will move and act in order to be glorified within his creation because he deserves it due to his absolute perfection and holiness as God. God loved the world and sends his son Jesus to redeem us. He redeems us because he loves us 
But make no mistake about it, his ultimate end is to be glorified through our redemption. And that's why in the first John, John the Apostle says, our sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Not for us. It's not all about us. It's all about God and his glory. Jesus understood this. Jesus was in harmony about this. And, and that perfect trinity where the perfect love of the Father for the Son and the Holy Spirit and the Son for the Father and Holy Spirit and the Spirit for the Father and Son. The, the, the Son subjugates himself to the Father and he comes to earth and takes on human flesh. And what was the foundational principle of his ministry? Why did he come? Oh, he came so that we could have our sins forgiven. That was one reason. But the ultimate reason why he came Look at what Jesus himself says. In John 12, when he is talking to the disciples and he's been explaining that he's going to go to the cross and they're pushing back at him, he says, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring what? Glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name and I will do so again. What a profound interaction with God the apostles have. God is about glorifying his name and this petition, when we understand it and we apply it as a model into our prayer life, it aligns our hearts with that absolute highest eternal purpose of God and the passion of his own heart. Now, there's some gospel applications that we've got to pull out of this this morning. The first and the most basic one is it, it reinforces and it vocalizes this, this petition when we pray it. We are reminding ourselves, we are vocalizing to ourselves the very reason for our existence. You know, the, the, the very first catechism question in our, in our system of faith says, what is the chief end or what is the chief purpose of man? Why were we created? That's the very first question in our catechism. Why are we here? What a great question. Most important question that we could ask. And the answer in our catechism is very simple. To glorify God. Say that with me to glorify God. And then it concludes with, and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. God says in Isaiah 43, seven, bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. When we pray this petition and we use it as a model in our prayer, we are preaching the gospel to ourselves right out of the gate, reminding ourselves and aligning ourselves with why we have actually been put here on earth in the first place, to glorify God. Regardless of our vocation and whatever station of life we're in, we've been put there to glorify God. Secondly, this petition implicitly has us asking God to meet us at the point 
of our deepest need. It has us asking God to meet us at the point of our deepest need. Let, let's, let's, let me park here for a little bit in our remaining time. We are asking God, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. Where does this hallowing of his name first need to start? Does it need to start in India? Does it need to start with my neighbor across the street? No, the hallowing of his name has to start where? In me. And so this this petition, remember, it is a model. It is Jesus telling us, encouraging us to interact with God, to say to God, to pray to God, God, your name, I want it to be made real to me, to be manifested to me, so that your glory, who you are, changes me, affects me, turns me into the person that, that you want me to be. And so this name of God is important. Remember, the name of God is not G-O-D God. He gives us many different names. And so last week, just to piggyback on last week, one of the names of God is Abba. You may be in a circumstance in your life, as we talked about last week, where This petition, the way the model of this petition works out is you praying, God, Abba, you reveal yourself. I need you to reveal yourself, to manifest yourself as Abba, as Father. I have this going on in my life. Would you show yourself to be my dad so that you can be glorified in me and through me? My my neighbor across the street they, they, they don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Would you reveal yourself as that Jehovah who is the covenantal God who will save and redeem? I mentioned to you last week that when I went through my, into my sabbatical, what was going on in my heart, one of the, ish, the, the primary thing that I wrote down was at the beginning where I was like, oh man, I'm in trouble, was... As I was reading through the Psalms, I would see where David would say, you are my rock and my fortress. And the revelation that came to me and I wrote in my journal was, God is not my rock and my fortress. I do not see God in this way. And so for me, this petition became, God, You say you are El Salai, rock, fortress. I need you to reveal yourself in this way. I need you to become my rock, my fortress, because if you don't, I'm toast. That's deeply theological, I'm toast. (laughs) But it's true. Because the reality of my life was he was not El Salai. And I needed him to be El Salai so that I could have the relationship with him so that he could be glorified through me. Side note, he's always El Salai. I just didn't know he was El Salai. And I needed that help. 
But that's how this works where you're praying and you're, you're taking, some of you have been raised in other faith traditions. For you, God, you know, the creator of this world was Buddha, or it's Krishna, or it's Allah. For you, this prayer starts with, you know, Elohim. Elohim? If Jerry's right, you're Elohim. The third word of the Bible, Elohim, in the beginning, God, your creator. Are you the creator? Or is Buddha? Or is Allah? Elohim, if, if you're real, if you're the creator, reveal yourself to me. Show me that you are the one true God and glorify yourself through me by revealing yourself to me. Some of you this morning, you may need to pray that. Some of you may need to pray the most basic name of God, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jehovah saves. God the most basic way God can glor be glorified through you is for you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that hasn't happened in your life yet. And so for you, the prayer is very simple. Lord Jesus, if what he's saying is true, reveal it to me. Work in my heart. Show me. Remove the scales from my eyes. Remove the hardness from my heart. Show me that you are the God who saves so that you can be glorified in my life and through me. Some of you are going through very difficult times. You have deep wounds, some of you. And so the name of God that you should be praying is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Lord, show me that you are Jehovah Rapha. Glorify yourself. Reveal yourself as that God who heals these deep wounds and glorify yourself in me. Show me as yourself as Jehovah Shalom, that God who brings peace and glorify yourself in me by giving that peace because you're the God of peace. This is what it means to pray. Hallowed be your name. And there are so many names of God, I encourage you to go online and look up the names of God. There's so many, and it would meet the need that is in your life this morning. Turn to Him in prayer. And understand that when we do this, as we boldly approach Him, we are admitting that the only person who can make this happen is God Himself. The mode and voice of hallow is it's an imperative command. Do this, but it's in a voice that says, only you can do this. I need you to do this. Would you do this for your glory? Father, would you do this in our church? Reveal yourself as the almighty God, the mighty God who saves, the mighty God who heals, the mighty God who empowers, the mighty God who is sovereign over all things, the mighty God who gives peace that passes all understanding, the mighty God who is the shepherd of his people, the mighty God who is the eternal king and lord of the universe. 
Would you reveal yourself in so many ways in this church to these people whom I love for your glory, for their good. In your son Jesus' name I pray, amen.